Kyle Sondland and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Episode 37 of the Security Token Show. My name is Kyle Sondland. I'm back with my host with the most, Herwig Konings. Herwig, how are we doing today? I'm doing great, Kyle. Another day of quarantine survived. Again, best wishes to all our listeners out there tuning in, especially those who have been directly impacted by the coronavirus epidemic. But hey, welcome back, new listeners, or welcome back to a returning listeners, so welcome to the new ones. We've got episode 37 today on our hands, Managing an Investor Whitelist. We're going to be diving into how that works and how you can even manage your own private market to create liquidity as an issuer. But Kyle, as you know, before we jump into that, we're going to kick off the show with our Companies of the Week segment, followed by our industry news covering what's the latest over the last week. Same for the latest STO updates, as well as the market activity review. Kyle, who is your company of the week this week? Let's dig into it. Companies of the week, we're talking about our most innovative companies, the ones that are doing things that are newsworthy, headline-worthy, the biggest news of the week. This week for me, Herwig, it is a company called NRI. And so NRI stands for the Nomura Research Institute. And so in episode 35... I gave Provenance my company of the week because they issued $150 million in tokenized bonds on the blockchain. And so along with its sister company, Figure, the bond was made happen by a consortium of firms, one being Nomura Securities, who just happens to be a major player in the news that I'm excited to dig into today. So the Nomura Research Institute, in partnership with the Nomura Securities Group, I think that they're both in a part of the same Nomura Group uh, holding company. Nomura Securities Group under or was an underwriter for this, this tokenized bond, along with Boostry, who is a registry agent for the services. And so Nomura Research Institute became the first platform to offer a blockchain-based digital bond directly to Japanese investors. And so the company issued two bonds, the first one being with a face value of 25 million yen or $232,000 with a three-month maturity. In addition, they issued a smaller $50,000 USD bond that was was also issued as a corporate bond. And so this is fantastic news because blockchain technology takes a lot of the complicated and expensive administration fees out of issuing corporate bonds. And so because of this, the barrier for entry for firms to issue smaller, more practical debt instruments decreases tremendously allowing more and more companies to raise the capital that they need to sustain and grow their businesses. And so in addition, I truly believe this is a healthy evolution of the traditional debt markets, where collateral is transparent and the execution of interest payments and the like are automated via smart contracts. So it's great to see the Nomura Group learning from successful pioneers like Mike Cagney and Figure, as well as themselves being a participant in that initial blockchain bond issuance from just a few weeks ago. And it's exciting to see that they're seeking to apply this technology and this, this 
strategy to their own business ecosystem. So I can't wait to see the success of these bonds and I await more firms to follow in their path as they have the opportunity now to raise 50, 100, couple hundred thousand dollars in corporate bonds in a much cheaper, much more effective way that could just be that key to unlocking a whole new asset class and a whole new opportunity for businesses around the world. Great choice, Kyle. As you pointed out, I think this is also a, a case of pilot trial runs. I think there's going to be a lot more where this came from, and hopefully these are going very successfully. It's also awesome to hear that they were part of that figure uh, securitization uh, bond as well. Uh, I, I'm also pretty sure that Nomura is part of the Security Token Association in Japan. We've been covering how fast that security token infrastructure has been growing there. Now they're already issuing trial bonds. Super, super exciting. Congratulations to them. Yeah, it's Japan, as you mentioned, is seems to really, really be on the forefront of a lot of this technology. They're wasting no time, sparing no expense, but they're also performing at the highest level. So it's exciting to see. And, and I think that very soon we're going to see them be a dominant player, if not because they already are. Moving forward, Herwig, what is your company of the week this week? I'm glad you asked. I'm actually going to be covering what I think is another under-the-radar company making big moves. And now they're, they're coming out of the fact that they have made a big partnership in Hong Kong. The company I'm talking about is Aegis Custody. They are based in San Francisco, and they were actually originally founded as a custody solution in 2018 for the crypto asset class, specifically designed for financial institutions. Now, in 2019, the company strategically acquired the licensing to expand into the tokenization and trading market in Hong Kong. So now, as a result, Aegis last week announced a partnership with Hong Kong-based CTBC Bank with intentions to tokenize almost $3 million worth of assets in a trial run, but Aegis... Uh, as the ultimate goal, they say, of tokenizing $25 billion in 2020 alone. Now, that's an aspiring goal for any new issuance platform that's on the block. And more notably, the choice of the Hong Kong jurisdiction might also be very strategic. The crypto ban there has led to a revival effort focused around security tokens in the region, alongside other companies like Liquify and Bank to the Future. And the, they could be poised for insane growth, just like we've seen as we've been talking about here in Japan. So I think this is really, really exciting stuff for Aegis and the industry as a whole. You know, the financial world is now becoming more connected in Japan and Hong Kong and the U.S. and Europe and Africa and everywhere else. That's exciting. It's very, very exciting. I think that we see just another Asian market that's expanding and growing and putting a ton of focus on security tokens and the, the evolution of this technology. Couldn't agree more with your company, the week selection there, Herwig. Yeah, you, you have to identify the fact that Aegis has partnered up with a very legitimate bank over in Hong Kong as a U.S.-based company uh, and tokenizing assets with them, specifically, I believe, REITs and other equities and even factorable um, financial products and things like that. So really, really big deal in the end. Uh, and again, they're really connecting the world in terms of tokenized assets. Absolutely. It really shows how we can bridge the gap in this global financial system and, and really have all of these different major financial centers working together 
to issue new securities and to provide all of their investors with new opportunities from, from anywhere around the world. It's inspiring, it's exciting, and it's really cool to see that vision actually happening in, in a practical sense in so many of these different examples. So just another awesome use case, another great company doing cool stuff. Those are our companies of the week. And without further ado, let's keep going into the industry news, Herwig. Absolutely, Kyle. I'm going to jump right into it. We, you know, last year had announced on the show earlier that HSBC had plans to list and track upwards of $20 billion worth of private placements on the blockchain. Well, last week we have learned that HSBC isn't just all talk because they have officially announced that they have put half that number, $10 billion worth of private placements on the Corda Enterprise blockchain. Kiaran Roddy, the head of custody innovation and strategy initiatives at HSBC, said that, quote, we're confident that we'll be able to put significant additional volume and value of private placements from new and existing clients on the platform over the next 12 to 18 months. So all of this is being done, of course, through HSBC's Digital Vault platform, which has won our Security Token Company of the Week award previously. And that platform is designed to make its clients have easy access to the private placement information, which traditionally in that infrastructure was being done by having the client call the bank. The bank, of course, then has a banker review the paper-based financial records to get the information the client was looking for. So the platform enables a lot more, including tokenization and third-party access for regulators and auditors as well. It's really a, a... comprehensive upgrade to the current private placement, uh, you know, paper-based records that they manage today. Ultimately, Roddy said the following of, of blockchain technology for the bank. Quote, we're seeing a number of traditional exchanges use DLT and HSBC being a clearing member and a local depository. We want to be able to support our clients who want to transact in these token markets. So that's uh, really impressive that they're identifying the, the digital securities trend and they're, they want to be one of the early adopters. And it's even worth noting that HSBC has no intentions to get involved with the crypto asset market themselves. It's just primarily focused on digitizing uh, securities and, and specifically paper-based private placements. Next up, we also have some news and update on the SEC case against Telegram. You know, for those of you who caught last week's episode, you'll remember that I mentioned that the SEC wanted an early summary from the judge in the case. And as a result, the judge has ordered that the issuance of grams, the underlying token, be halted by the company, which the original issuance date, I believe, was scheduled for next month. So this is pretty significant as this was a a $1.7 billion ICO. uh, And ultimately, it seems that the the judge is agreeing that there is a potential case for sure that the Graham sale uh, has violated multiple securities laws. And so if the tokens, of course, haven't been issued yet, it makes it easier for investors to try and get a refund from the company. And this is probably something that many during this coronavirus crash might be seeking. So I, I believe the SEC is trying to act fast with this. You know, the ramifications of this case make it very clear that launching an ICO to fundraise to build a blockchain network will cause the underlying tokens being sold, which, you know, at the end of the day is just a piece of software to be classified as a security. And this is 
all while another ICO, Enigma, officially settled with the SEC over its very own $45 million ICO in 2017. Enigma ended up not admitting to any wrongdoing, but they ultimately had to register with the SEC due to the violations they were marked for, and they are now going to have to offer investors a claim to their original investment. So it may be possible that we see something similar end up for Telegram or something else entirely. We also saw some news from the Australian Stock Exchange, which was seen as one of the early movers to leverage blockchain, specifically recruiting digital asset to help make its current 25-year-old electronic trading platform known as Chess, or the Clearinghouse Electronic Sub-Register System, and put it, of course, on the blockchain. The initiative started over two years ago, and despite promising trials in 2019, it looks like the Australian Stock Exchange will be delaying that overall transition to sometime after April 2021, though it is worth mentioning that the goal is for customers to be able to access a test environment of October of this year. So what's the reason for the delay, you may ask? Well, it's none other than the notorious culprit, COVID-19. We do have another exciting update in the space, though, which is that another blockchain technology uh, has made the way to support security tokens. I'm talking about the NEM blockchain protocol, which has its own token, XEM, which, by the way, for those of you who don't know it, it's valued as the 26th biggest coin by market capitalization in the world. The foundation announced last week a new set of standards to let developers issue security tokens on its upcoming platform, Symbol. The Symbol blockchain project has been seen as a next-generation platform able to service the needs of institutional investment firms, and it's slated to launch later this year. Since NEM or NEM launched out of Singapore, it's expected that the, the Symbol platform will focus on the Asian market initially. We'll be sure, of course, to let you know if we learn about the official date of the launch. Going back over to the U.S., tokenization company Tokensoft announced last week a partnership with Israeli cybersecurity firm Hun Security. Hub Security, sorry. The result is that Tokensoft now offers users top-tier military-grade protection, of course, uh, as a result specifically for their tokens, keys, and assets. Tokensoft now claims the integration gives their technology the most advanced key management solution available in the market today. Specifically, clients of Tokensoft's transfer agent, DTAC, are now privy to military-grade cybersecurity tactics, including... FIPS 140-2 level 4 protection. I definitely have no clue what that means. And a multi-signature vault, a hardware (laughs) firewall, and access control uh, to the tokens. And it's notably uh, also worth mentioning that the platform integrates a neural network learning system designed to anticipate potential cyber attacks. So that's definitely a whole lot of security for your security tokens right there, uh, thanks to Tokensoft. And their partnership. No kidding. Um, (laughs) Back over in the UK, uh, Smartlands, an issuance platform, has planned its own equity fundraise. So, you know, they they previously previously mentioned that this was coming soon, and now you can officially go and participate. The company has announced that you can access the opportunity via the Cedars crowdfunding platform. 
I believe that is a European-based crowdfunding platform exclusive to uh, residents in that jurisdiction. Roughly 2.65% of the company is up for grabs via that portal, but the company is seeking to sell an additional 10% to VCs and private investors as part of a grander fundraising strategy. So if you are a, a more of a angel or whale investor, you can reach out to them directly. The money will go towards the expansion of the platform, and the executives already claim to have 16,000 community members with over 11,000 wallets being opened on the Smartlands platform. And they're also known for being the first blockchain-based property tokenization campaign uh, allowed under the UK regulation, and they claim to have over 30 projects in the pipeline. Now, note that there is no mention of whether the equity itself will be tokenized. It's currently presumed, presumed no, but probably yes, sometime in the future. No, no official statement there. And of course, uh, I want to talk about and recommend a great interview uh, with my co-host here, Kyle, who talks to Blocklike about all things security tokens. Blocklike even translated the interview into Chinese. If you would like either Kyle or myself to do an interview for your publication, you know, just give us a shout on Twitter or LinkedIn. Kyle, how was that interview for you? It was really nice. I had a fun time. The, the, the team over there at Blocklike are, are, are very thoughtful and, and responsive and active and interested. I think that I was the 30th interviewee in their security token series, so it seems like they've been really scouring the, the Asian markets as well as, as the, the Western markets now to, to find security token experts to provide insight and expertise. And so we, we kept a focus on the live tokens on security token market, much of the market updates that we discuss here on the podcast and we'll get into in just a little while. But definitely go check that out. I appreciate the interview. And, and certainly it's exciting for me to, to continue to reach out with, with uh, the Chinese and Singapore and, and Asian markets because it's, it's so vast, so large, and so successful as we've noted already just on this podcast and this episode alone. And uh, it's something that certainly I don't have quite as much experience with. So thanks a lot to Blocklike. And, and that's where we said, definitely reach out. We're always happy uh, to do interviews. Yeah, so check out that interview. And sounds like there's a lot more where that came from. Lots more good content to go check out while I'm sure many of us are, are all quarantined up. And lastly, I do want to mention an article that isn't quite in the, the traditional newsreel for security tokens. But I wanted to give out a shout out to Crypto Ron. For those of you who don't know him, Ron Neuner is the host of CNBC's CNBC Africa's Crypto Trader. And because Ron recently set up a $10 million startup relief fund called the Runway Fund, I wanted to give him a, a shout out and bring some attention to this. They're targeting startups that need capital uh, and have been affected, of course, by the COVID-19 epidemic. And for those and they're also targeting companies that are, quote, you know, poised to gain from it. So Ron and his team, Ron has teamed up with Yossi Hassan, who is the co-founder of New York-based crypto fund OnChain Capital. And Ron did some great coverage of security token advisors back in the day and continues to be a voice in the blockchain industry. We wish him a lot of success with the fund and, and hopefully, you know, eventually that he might tokenize it. And that's it for the news. I'm going to hand it over to Kyle, who can tell us a little bit more, of course, about the upcoming events uh, in the space. Absolutely. As always, definitely check out stomarket.com slash news for any of the articles that we posted here. We post them all there at our news aggregator. That's where we source all of our news. That's where we get links from the community and engage in, in comments 
and communication with, with everybody in the community regarding these topics prior and following to when they're, they're mentioned on the podcast. Additionally, any links to anything that we say is included in the description of anywhere that you're listening, whether that's Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or you can follow the Security Token Show on Twitter where we do post a lot of these different articles and all of our different sources there as well. So definitely go check out any of those different sources if you'd like to read more about any of the specific articles or give us a holler if you'd like to have a conversation regarding something we've talked about, whether it's Twitter or LinkedIn or anywhere else that you can get a hold of us. Moving forward into the events section, we have two events. I've covered them a couple times, so we'll try to make this relatively quick. But we have the Securities Finance Technology Symposium. This is on May 7th in London. As I mentioned, that this is going to be covering a lot of blockchain and securitization stuff, but they have made a note that it, it may get rescheduled based off of the current climate. So we'll, we'll give you updates there. Nothing has changed regarding their policy yet. Obviously, it's, it's still a couple months away. And additionally, the Security Token Realized San Francisco event was pushed. It was originally on May 28th. It's now rescheduled to November 7th in San Francisco. So they will be covering a lot of other uh, things on the panel as well. Certainly now that it's November 7th, we'll dig into that once we get a little bit closer to that event. But just so you know, it's no longer May 28th. It will be November 7th. We also don't have a lot of great updates from security token offerings themselves. Unfortunately, this week, I wasn't able to find a new offering to talk about in terms of somebody looking to raise money. Maybe that's because we have covered, I think, 10 or 15 in the last two or three weeks. Maybe it's just because this week was, a, was an off week, or maybe it's because everybody's feeling a little bit of the COVID-19 epidemic. But for whatever reason, we weren't able to find a new offering However, that doesn't mean that I don't come with some great news. But first, before I get into that great news, we're going to cover the market update. And the market update is pretty, pretty sound. The, the market cap was down to $45 million from $47 million last week. So pretty similar in terms of that's just, you know, normal fluctuations. The T0 token fell under a dollar for most of the week. But it was rallying hard on Monday, up over 40% to about $1.35. Unfortunately, it closed back down under a dollar the same day uh, with a market cap of just under $20 million at closing on Monday. <sighs> so the trading volume for the token also has been historically low over the past few weeks, especially compared to an outstanding first quarter. So we're going to have to see how that evens out in the future and whether that's just a, a couple-week anomaly because of the current market climate or if that says something more grand about the the current interest in in that security token, we'll just have to see. Regarding other tokens, the Realty tokens themselves have performed really well against the public markets. We covered that in in our episode last week. This week, they've held their prices strong, um, and the prices have laid pretty flat despite the market turbulence, even in security tokens as well as in the public markets. So it is a strong week for real estate for them to hold firm in this current market, again, because they also pay you know, a double-digit dividend on top of that equity performance. Finally, Blockchain Capital and Lottery.com both experienced additional sell-offs, which ended up catapulting Spice VC into second place for highest market cap in the industry at 8.2%. So now it goes T0, Spice, and then Blockchain Capital. Now for the good news. I'm actually really excited that on Security Token Market, we now have a new live token for secondary trading. 
So after listing six real estate tokens, Uniswap Exchange is at it again, this time listing a tokenized equity. And so let's dig into that token. The token itself represents equity in issuance platform and former company of the week, Mount Pelerin. Mount Pelerin is based out of Switzerland and tokenized 100% of their cap table in help of proving the concept of tokenizing securities. So while they tokenized 100% of their equity, which totaled 10 million shares, the company has only decided to liquidate 5% of that equity, allowing only 500,000 shares to hit secondary markets. According to their website, this 5% is the maximum that will ever be freely traded on secondary markets, at least by them. We'll see if, if investors or whatever get liquidity in the future. As expected, they also specify that the tokens themselves are registered legal shares of the company, so there's no fears there regarding your legal ownership. Each MPS token also carries one vote at the shareholders' meetings of Mount Pelerin Group SA, and according to their site, all relevant information related to the shareholders' meetings will be communicated in due time individually to each registered shareholder. The company also notes the possibility for future dividends, saying, quote, any proposal by the board of directors to declare a dividend, if any, will depend on different parameters, including the company's results of operations, financial condition, cash requirements, and other relevant elements, including tax and other legal considerations, end quote. So while they don't necessarily have a dividend now, it's certainly a possibility for the future, and that's the beauty of security tokens. They were able to programmatically build that into their token, and it also shows that they're able to programmatically build that into a token if you're an issuer who's contemplating what platform to work with. Finally, regarding liquidity, it is trading on the Uniswap exchange, as I mentioned, and they note some trading restrictions based off of the following countries of jurisdiction. So if you're in any of these countries I'm about to list, you unfortunately cannot purchase the MPS token. And that includes, but is, I think it just includes, the United States of America, People's Republic of China, Afghanistan, the Bahamas, Botswana, Bosnia, Cambodia, Cuba, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, Ethiopia, Ghana, Guyana, Iraq, Iran, Laos, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Sudan, Syria, Trinidad, Tobago, Tunisia, Uganda, Vanuatu, and Yemen. So if you're in any of those countries, you will not be able to purchase, but it looks like at least most of Europe will be able to participate as well as uh, anywhere else in, around the world. So that's fantastic news. And finally, the token's price is $3.25 as of Monday with a market cap of $1.6 million, placing it fifth on our growing list of now 13 security tokens. You can see any of those prices live on stomarket.com. Those are programmatically updated by the hour based off of API integration with these exchanges and with data providers. So definitely check out that site. Check out that information if you want to see more. Congratulations to the Mount Pelerin for having a live token offering. And now we're excited to announce with Security Token Market that we are now an international security token tracking platform that, ha that has securities from all around the world. Woo. Now, moving into our main topic, Herwig. You are the CEO of Security Token Advisors and have worked with, with hundreds of clients regarding this, this industry. And you're constantly working with issuers and discussing with them their liquidity strategy. And so one of the things that you previously mentioned during episode 34 on exchanges and marketplaces was a private issuer-managed market. So today I'd like to dive into that a little bit more. Could you explain how that works in reality? Absolutely, Kyle. I also want to say congratulations to the work you're doing over at Security Token Market. Very exciting to see it, you know, an international 
market of equities now available, and it's only going to grow and grow and cover even more jurisdictions. Very, very cool to see that now live on Security Token Market. But anyway, I'm happy to answer your question because that was a great episode talking about the different ways you could you know, develop a liquidity strategy, if you will. It's one of those main elements of any security token application. And, and oftentimes, the issuer doesn't realize that the technology already exists to enable their own liquidity without needing a broker or a third-party exchange platform or the like. So to key to understanding, though, how all this works is how understanding how investor whitelists work. Now, investor whitelists are not a new phenomenon. I mean, companies are already familiar with the term blacklists when it comes to onboarding investors, right? At the end of the day, KYC and AML and other compliance solutions were born out of the need to scan potential investors who might fall into a blacklist, which is determined typically by a series of rules and regulations. You know, a whitelist, on the other hand, if you're not familiar with the term, is exactly what it sounds like. Instead of a list of banned investors, like with the blacklist, you get a whitelist, which is an explicit group of investors allowed to invest and transact. So if you are on the blacklist, aren't you by default on the whitelist? And the simple answer is yes. But most, you know, at the end of the day, most companies, whether they're public or private, don't usually need to use a whitelist. In the public markets, you have broker-dealers, compliance companies, transfer agents, you even have exchanges. They've all developed an infrastructure to let investors access the company on the public exchange and then invest. You know, one could say you're on a whitelist, if you will, if you have a brokerage account with access to that company. But for private companies, this process is, is typically very different due to the fact that both secondary sales are managed typically by the company themselves, and they're usually far less frequent compared to the public counterpart. So the reason why whitelists are not necessarily so prevalent is because private companies typically didn't have liquidity or market for their stock, usually with their investors having an expectation to hold the asset for a long time. We're talking multiple years, maybe five or longer, or that the expectation is to simply harvest their position in annual profits and dividends and to never sell except for maybe if it's back to the company or to another investor. But now with the advent of digital securities and the internet and blockchain, private companies are able to create that digital access for investors to buy their stock all without the hassle and cost. Because of course, traditionally, the company would deal with an investor offline directly and a series of papers would go back and forth, typically through lawyers, to ensure eligibility in a legal sale. You know, this is a process that was too hard to streamline and too complicated and cumbersome for most investors and the issuer, especially not on a scalable fashion. So now, thanks to, of course, this beautiful technology, an issuer-managed market is possible. As we discussed in episode uh, 34, you know, in the Exchanges 101, a private company can now go to a third party to help create liquidity for them, you know, such as an exchange or a broker-dealer with an ATS. And the only alternative to that, of course, is to manage their own market themselves as the issuer or, of course, to go public. So due to the fact that security token infrastructure is still coming about, uh, i.e. there are not a lot of marketplace and exchange options available yet, many security token projects as a result have gone to manage the market themselves in order to create liquidity. 
And think about that for a second. In the end, that's all that the public markets or third-party solutions for private companies are doing, is they are managing an investor whitelist and the technology to power trades between them for specific assets. So you take a platform like Open Finance or T0, they've set up the infrastructure, they have the right licenses, and they've enabled a specific user base, aka a whitelist of investors to trade the assets on their platform. But since they are a third party, they of course have a lot more uh, scrutiny and regulations and rules they have to follow being licensed uh, and with FINRA or whichever regu- you know, jurisdiction that they're in. And as an issuer managing your own whitelist, you have a lot more freedom and flexibility because you are the issuer uh, themselves. So since the technology drives most of the functionality already to make a trade, all you need to do is implement the, the right tech stack and the right processes to power your own pr- private market for your issued securities. We'll walk through it for in two different examples. Kyle, ready? The first example is the, the realty example. As we've just been talking about many, many times on the show, realty tokenizes individual U.S. residential properties. You can purchase a stake in their upcoming projects via a security token directly from their site, realty.co. But in doing so, realty will also check your KYC and AML and your eligibility, especially depending on where you reside from. After that additional governance, Realty has all the information needed to onboard you as an investor, and now Realty has added you to their whitelist of investors able to purchase from Realty. Now, it's important to recognize that Realty, as the issuer, is doing the compliance and providing the software to onboard an investor and then enabling them to purchase Realty's issued securities, in this case through an online dashboard. So you can, of course, as an issuer, build that technology yourself or leverage third-party solutions to cobble that together or an all-in-one solution like an issuance platform, which Realty also does. Now, Realty enables you to purchase directly from them through their site, just like a crowdfunding portal, and you'll be issued a security token, uh, of course, after whitelisting. But it's important to recognize the whitelist's other role, which is anyone that has been whitelisted is now eligible to purchase from other owners of the the securities. They are co-investors. So now if Kyle and I were both whitelisted by Realty, we can purchase tokens from each other. The only thing missing, of course, is a compliant and technical way for Kyle and I to, to make that happen, to make that trade occur. And in this case, Realty partnered up with a decentralized exchange called Uniswap to enable whitelisted users to trade peer to peer with each other on Uniswap. Uh, the security tokens that represent the ownership in real estate. So it's very, very powerful. It's, of course, important to note here that Uniswap is not a broker or a third party acting on behalf of the transaction. They are simply providing the technology platform to enable compliant peer-to-peer transactions digitally between a whitelist of investors that, in this case, Realty manages. So let's use a a different issuer, but the same platform as well. So as you mentioned, we now have the NPS token by Mount Pelerim. And as a Swiss-based issuance platform, they have different regulations and different rules to follow. And as you might have caught, has a restriction on different countries, including the United States. Additionally, the the token is where it's worth mentioning is tradable on another platform, Fork Delta, as well. So you can actually trade on two different decentralized platforms. 
but of course you must register the MPS tokens with Mount Pelerin on their site, aka where they add you to the whitelist. Now, because you investors are not able to purchase the MPS tokens, Kyle and I couldn't access them on Uniswap even though we can buy the realty tokens. We would need to be added to Mount Pelerin's whitelist, which of course wouldn't be possible since we reside in the U.S. This is an important distinction because Mount Pelerin needs to be able to make sure its securities are trading compliantly, which in this case meant restricting access to them for U.S. investors. Now, if we compare the entire experience we just talked about, of course, compared to its traditional counterpart, this is far more efficient because it's completely digital. If we had to try and allow a free secondary market of stock on a manual offline paper basis, it would be extremely cumbersome, expensive, timely, and costly as a result. Now, as an issuer, we can leverage trading software companies such as AlphaPoint or others that offer the tools and technology needed to power and create a secondary market and, of course, manage a whitelist. And additionally, smart contracts enable all sorts of capabilities to create you know, structured buyback programs. They could potentially route every single transaction through the issuer's treasury. And even a, a lot more different uh, use cases will arise, you know, as the industry grows. You know, even the whitelist uh, investors, uh, man, whitelists managed by OFN, T0, and other marketplaces will grow themselves. And private companies can eventually leverage those whitelists as well or maybe even do a combination of managing their own and using one of these third-party marketplaces. So ultimately, whitelist govern who can invest and security token technology enables issuers to onboard investors and manage a peer-to-peer environment for trading around the world for their securities. What a great rundown, Herwig. I mean, whitelists have become an incredibly efficient way, as we've seen as of late, for issuers to manage the liquidity for their issued securities, especially because we've seen a lot of these early marketplaces, ATSs, and exchanges kind of struggling to get off the ground. Um, And so by managing the whitelist themselves, they can directly control which countries can participate based on the advice of their legal teams based off the funding regulations that they're using. Uniswap itself has been an incredibly effective medium for powering this liquidity. And when we now judge by the total number of listed securities, it's actually the largest security token exchange in the world. So it's really cool to see that decentralized model allowing issuers to plug in and manage their own whitelist, which drastically reduces the costs as, as opposed to ATSs or exchanges that have to deal with, with legal fees and, and all of those other things that have really been a hindrance for many of these these newcomers and incumbents into the space. So hopefully other options like AlphaPoint will also be able to provide great solutions for asset issuers around the world. Um, But it does make me wonder, how do you see the issuer-managed private market solution fitting into an issuer's overall liquidity strategy? That's a great question, Kyle. You know, ultimately, uh, you'd have to pay us a retainer at STA to to really dive into that. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm happy to answer that. You know, ultimately, I, I think it's going to become a default part of the suite for any issuer. And ultimately, I think it's going to be incorporated into tokenization or issuance platforms, if you will. I mean, from one perspective, you already have the end-to-end solution like T0, which will tokenize and then list on their 
their marketplace as well. They, of course, have the benefit that they're also licensed to provide liquidity and can aggregate a larger whitelist of investors over time. You know, as a private issuer, managed market, you are building your own whitelist, which, of course, for many can take a long time. So instead, I expect a lot more of these use cases for this model to apply perhaps to institutional products or for issuers who want to specifically limit the pool of investors to to specific individuals or a type of individual. Uh, And finally, uh, uh, of course, you might look at large-scale investment programs offered by private companies uh, that want to grow over time is a a great solution to manage their own markets. And of course, all of this saving them on costs as well uh, and offering some level of liquidity without necessarily having to go all the way. So... I think that, that it will definitely find its place as a, a solution. And I think we're, we're going to see many, many, many issuer managed private markets uh, come, come about. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. I think that certainly it depends on an issuer to issuer basis. It depends on the specific asset and the demand and, and many other factors that, that really do really depend on the case, which is why I think it is important that if you're an issuer considering these strategies to definitely reach out to Herwig to, to find ways to work together because you know this expertise will be important um, to be custom fit based off of the different engagements. But it does seem like an interesting intermediary step for me where issuers can provide some of that liquidity for their early investors or to at least be able to establish that market early before having to, to scale to, to more of a, a formal option or, or established option, if you will, institutional option, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, certainly the, the peer-to-peer marketplace, at least at this time, doesn't quite seem as scalable as the, some of the more high-volume options. But at the same time, as we've mentioned, the costs are low and, and it certainly is available now and, and can be leveraged now for issuers, which is a tremendous advantage, certainly in the current space. Another great episode, Kyle. That's all we have today for those of you listening. And uh, we hope to catch you again next week. Security Token Show, episode 37. Thanks for listening. <laughs>